We are now gathered around God's Word, and if you would, open to Genesis chapter 27 as we continue to study this Word of God. Sovereign Holy God gave us His Word. He has spoken to us, and He still speaks to us today, right here in His Word. Before we get to it, um, a question And I know we talk about God's will. We've talked about God's will a few times together. But do you still struggle with God's will? Just a struggle finding out what what should I be doing? What should I do? Living in God's will, how does it look? How do I figure it out? We must want to know what God's will is or we wouldn't be here this morning together to hear from Him, to worship Him, to hear His Word. But we get a wrong idea that God has this kind of a tightrope plan that's invisible to us. We can't see it. And and we need to be trying to figure out (laughs) what God's will is. Like, you know, He's hidden it from us, and we've got to figure it out. And we're scared of falling, because if you fall off of a tightrope, well, it can hurt. And we know that if we fall out of God's will, man, He's going to get us. We get that idea. We, we 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 even get paralyzed. What do I do? What kind of decision should I make? Because I want to make sure I'm in God's will. But how do I do it? Because I don't know and I can't see. It's a very stressful way of looking at life within God's will because it's exact and it's precise. But He's not telling us. <laughs> and we can't see what it is. And, and, and we think that He's just going to get us if we get out of line. And it's really kind of a cruel way of looking at God and, and a difficult way of looking at life. Now, it is true, morally speaking, that there was only one way to please God, to be in fellowship with God, and that was to remain sinless, which we, we fell off that tightrope long ago in Adam and Eve, and in each of our lives, we, we've fallen off of that, and there's no way to get back up onto that tightrope. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, everyone to our own way, in rebellion to what God's law said. And says, and we can never get back to that. But as we have heard this morning, as we've sung this morning, Jesus did. He he walked the completely impossible blade edge tightrope of perfection, never falling in his mind, his thought, his heart, his will, his emotions, his words, his thoughts, anything. He did that for us because we can't. He went to the cross. He took all of our sins. He gave us his righteousness, his perfection. He died suffering to pay the penalty of our sins. He died in the grave, and he was there, and the people thought it was all over until three days later when he rose again, conquering sin and death. And all of our mistakes, all of our missteps, all of our intentional sins that we have committed and omitted against God. And when we believe that, when we, have, when we turn away from sin and believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit, God Himself, indwelling us and enabling us to grow more and more like Jesus in our life so that we become more like Him as He walked perfectly. We get closer to that and closer to that every day, even if we start pretty far away <laughs> and we start making our way closer by God who works that in us. But what does that look like from day to day? How do we live in His will now that we are in Christ? Is it that invisible tightrope? 
Is it that blade edge that we're trying to figure out what God wants, or have we misunderstood God's will? It's generally accepted that there are at least two parts, two sides to God's will, and some say three, but for the sake of simplicity, we'll just look at two aspects of God's will this morning for just a minute, and they are the decreed will of God and the declared will of God. In the decreed will of God, it is God's absolute, perfect, reigning, ruling sovereignty over every single part of creation, from the, from the largest galaxy movements down to the smallest particles that we can't see with our eye. God reigns supreme. Nothing happens outside of His will. It's decreed by God Himself that everything that happens, happens because He brings it about, because it's part of His will. Now, that he's not the author of sin, because I know that's one question that comes right up, like, wait a minute, he, you know, he's responsible for sin. No, he's not the author responsible for sin, but in his decreed will, he even uses sin to bring about his will. There's nothing that happens outside of God's decreed will. The, the key for us for this, and this is in our notes, is that the decreed will of God is that we don't know what it is, but it will happen. We don't know what it is, but it will happen. Now, that's in contrast to the other aspect of God's will, the declared will of God. This is what He declares to be what He wants, what He says He desires, but it can be disobeyed. God says, this is what my will is in every command and every instruction and every statute and ordinance and law. This is what you will do, but we've sinned. We've disobeyed God's will. And God doesn't make it happen like He does with the decreed will of God. So the key to the declared will of God is that we know what it is, but it may not happen. It may not happen. In the decreed will of God, we don't know what it is, but it happens every time. In the declared will of God, we know what it is, but we don't do it all the time. And it doesn't happen all the time. You know, again, even in our disobedience of God's declared will, His decreed will will happen. How does that work? Well, that's beyond our minds to comprehend. That's beyond us. When we struggle, though, with the will of God, when we're, when we're frozen, when we're paralyzed with fear, when we're trying to figure out what should I do, which job should I take, which direction should I go, should I have peanut butter and jelly or a ham sandwich, <laughs> or, or bigger questions than that, what we're doing is that we're thinking about this invisible tightrope of God's decreed will, and we're being so concerned with that that we're ignoring or even rejecting His declared will. His decreed will, He doesn't reveal to us. We don't know what it is. And that's purposeful. And the reason I think he does that is because he's in his infinite wisdom, he is controlling every single particle from the smallest to the biggest, and every single part, and everything that's happening is fitting within that complete control. That takes an omnipotent, omniscient God to work it all out. I'm never going to get there. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to figure out how all of it works together, how it all ends up in singing his praise, worship, and, uh, of who he is, his goodness, his power all for His glory. We can't grasp it, so He doesn't reveal it. But He never tells us to try to guess what it is or try to figure out how to decipher this mysterious code of His will because He didn't reveal it to us for our good. Even more importantly, 
Now, now this is where it may relieve some stress. We're not going to be held accountable for whether we obey God's decreed will. Why not? Well, because for one, he doesn't tell us, but for two, it's going to happen. God's will will happen. His decreed will will. So you can't be held responsible for something that didn't happen if it always happens. Okay, so we're not going to be held responsible for not following God's decreed will because we will. He'll bring it about. But His declared will is what we are either avoiding or rejecting when we don't know what it says or when we do the opposite of what it says. And that is what He has given to us. He has revealed that to us, and for that we will be held accountable. And He hasn't hidden it from us. It's right here. It is all in His Word, His declared will. And we're going to see both of these aspects of God's will in this account of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Because here in this account, God has spoken. He's declared His will he said, this is what should happen, but his decreed will is also working. And some of the people here are going to reject it, some are going to accept it, but try to get it their own way. Not one person, though, in this account, as we come to Genesis 27, not one person is going to act in line with God, his will, his character, the revelation of who he is and his word. No one acts uprightly or honorably. honorably. But it begins with the struggles between Jacob and Esau. You remember they struggled in the beginning as they were conceived. They struggled as babies. They struggled with the birthright. And now they're going to struggle with the blessing. And it has continued. It's even gotten worse, we saw, because of the parents' partiality, their sin of partiality, choosing one over or instead of the other. And there are five scenes in this drama of chapter 27 that's going to teach us about life and about God's will. So let's look at scene one in verses one through four, where Isaac and Esau both act contrary to God's will. Isaac and Esau act contrary to God's will, his, his declared will. Now, as background, before we read this, recall that God's word to Isaac and Rebekah was that the older would serve the younger, right? That was God's word to them. And we saw that they named the twins according to that promise prophecy because Jacob is called the supplanter. He's going to take over the, for the older one. We also saw that Isaac loved Esau because he ate what Esau hunted, and Rebekah loved Jacob. They, they had their sins of partiality there. And as it comes time to bless his children now, Isaac chooses both the conventional worldly wisdom, but also his preference within the sin of partiality to bless Esau over Jacob when God had said, no, Jacob is going to take his place. So Isaac is going to be rejecting God's words for these sons. Not only that, but Esau had already forfeited. He'd already forfeited his right to get the blessing. When he took the birthright, when Esau sold the birthright and Jacob took it, the blessing goes along with that. Because the birthright was the firstborn. I'm going to now take over the family. When the father dies, I'm going to be here and I need more blessing. I need more resources to do that. So I get a double share. It all goes together. And Esau had already forfeited that. But Isaac is going to say, no, I want things my way. Let's look at verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. 
Now there you see God's decreed will. God's decreed will is there is a day for each of us uh, to no longer live on this planet. We don't know what that is. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac is nearing the end of his life already, even though we just started the whole section from here all the way to chapter 35, it's Isaac's uh, toldote, his generations of, but he's already nearing the end of his life. His eyes are failing, which can happen for any number of reasons with age, but he doesn't know when he's going to die. So he says, I'm going to act now while I still have my mind, while I'm still able to. I'm going to bless Esau over and against Jacob, against God's declared will. His word. Now, in reality, Isaac doesn't know that he's got decades of life left, but he's trying to do this now, and he, and he tries to guess at God's decreed will of the day of his death, and he tries to challenge God's declared will for the here and now. Now, as for why he decides to bless Esau over Jacob, we're not told specifically. I mean, maybe he just forgot. Maybe he thought he could overcome God's plan. Maybe he just thought, I'll just go along with this and see how God works it out. (laughs) I think that we're going to see that he thought he could overcome God's will. He thought he could have his own will in place of God's will. But he makes this plan, this, this conspiracy, if you will, with his son Esau. And it reminds us of chapter 25 because you remember what happened in chapter 25 between Jacob and Esau when Jacob took the birthright from Esau. It's almost like Isaac says, look, Jacob took your birthright by a meal. Bring me a meal, and I'll give you the blessing. The birthright and the blessing, like we said, really go together. But he says, I'll fix this for you, son. You're my favorite. We'll make this happen. So despite knowing God's declared will, Isaac thought he could substitute his will and get away with it. Now, often God will allow for a time us to have our own will, and we we have freedom to either reject or obey God's declared will in His Word. But there will be a time that we'll be held accountable. Sometimes it happens here on earth. Sometimes we have to wait until we stand before Him at the end. And sometimes God's declared will matches up exactly with His decreed will, and He's going to force the issue in this life. So when you know God's will, our lesson, what we're going to be learning this morning is that we do not try to replace it with our own will. Not only will we be held responsible for it, it may be part of God's decreed will and He's going to happen, He's going to make it happen, and it may be painful. So the idea here is in our notes, focus on God's declared will. Focus on His declared will. Don't try to get distracted and, and sidetracked with, with, well, I wonder if this is this decreed will or not. I wonder if, you know, if I'm on the tightrope, if I'm on the right place, if I'm doing the right thing. If we're in line with His declared will, that's what He says. That's what He wants. And he doesn't tell us His other part. So don't force your own will. Don't try to guess. Do you remember Jonah? We, we know the story of Jonah really well and how, how he tried to fight against God's declared will, and he failed because God's decreed will said, nope, this is going to happen. And what happened with Jonah was at the end, he ended up in a depression because he was fighting against God, and he couldn't get it done, and he wanted his own way. But God was saying, no, this is the way it's going to be, and it's going to be this way now. 
And for Isaac here, we, we see conspiracies and deceit and the family being torn apart. So I just want us to think about this in, in four areas of our life just for a minute. In, in terms of our own life, our own personal life, when we look at life and we think, you know, what I'd like to have is, is some comfort, being comfortable. I want to have some happiness. I, wanna, I want these things out of life. But we know that God's declared will for our life is salvation in Jesus Christ and our sanctification, our growing more like Jesus in holiness and love. So then what do I do with that in my life? Well, which job should I take? Well, because I know that God's declared will for my life is that I become more like Jesus, then I probably shouldn't take the job that will ensure that I'm never able to go to church, that I'm never able to be with His people, that it causes me to need to compromise on what He has said in His Word. I don't think that I'm going to be able to take the job as a, within a casino, <laughs> even though it will make me more money. Because that's not part of God's will, His declared will for my life, and so I need to take the other job. But I'll make more money. Well, what's most important to me is God's declared will, not my declared will, right? Well, when I'm taking a, a, a break from work and I, and I need a break, I need to, to just take a load off and, and rest and, and take a break. Well, I'm going to entertain myself. Well, how am I going to do that? Am I going to do that with the world's answers of sin and entertaining with, with immorality and unrighteousness? Or am I going to find a different way to, to relax and to be entertained and take a break before I get back to what I need to do? Don't turn to the world's answers. Don't... What we're looking at is we're trying to figure out, okay, is it God's will for my life to do this or that? Well, we don't have to wonder about the decreed will. Focus, keep in mind, the declared will of God. Think about it in terms of your family. We all want our family to be together. We want family to get along and have good relationships and, and a good reputation. And, and God wants our family to be a light for Him, a light of the gospel in a dark world. And so when we have troubles within our family, we don't cover them up and force a, a kind of a fake front and say, no, we're all just happy and we're all getting along. <laughs> we work those out and we come together and we, we confess our sins and we forgive one another and we grow in love and we grow in closeness and that's a strange concept for people to see. So the family's not perfect, but the family has Jesus working within each member. So, well, how, do I, um, how do I work this out in my family? Well, that, that's what it looks like as we're considering God's declared will over His decreed will. I'm not going to sacrifice what I want. I'm not going to sacrifice what God wants for what I want in terms of the church. Many people want programs, music that's worthy of a concert, preaching that would be on TV or on the radio, lots of people coming, money flowing, and, and a, a very consumeristic view. This is what I want, but God says this is what the church is supposed to be. Others want teaching. I just want sound, healthy doctrine in my teaching, and that's what I want. That's what makes a good church, and they ignore all that God says about us discipling one another to grow so that we can serve one another. And so there are churches that focus on what is easier or what is more convenient. Other churches don't care about the doctrine or the teaching. They just want to be doing and serving and giving and being out in the community and not bothering with teaching. But God says the church is both. It, it's, it's the teaching, it's the doing, it's the growing, the serving, the loving, the praying, the studying, the preaching. We go with God's declared will. 
in terms of culture, just one more as, as, we, as we think through this, in terms of culture, you know, we want a moral culture. We want a culture that's, that's equal and fair and with justice and with freedom. And God says there are going to be inequalities, and it's, it's part of our job as individuals to meet the needs of people that we've come in contact with. God says there's going to be immorality in culture, and that's why He changes us. That's why He brings us and keeps us within the culture, but makes us different from the culture. To become more like Jesus. That's why we're supposed to be different, so that people can see, look, the hope that we have is not in culture, it's not in laws, it's not in morality, it's not in trying to make culture more aware and tolerant, it's not in government programs, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for us, and He's the only answer for the people around us. And so, when we know God's declared will for our life as individuals, as families, as a church, within our culture, that's how we make decisions. That's how we we work through what should I do. And when I make decisions, not trying to guess at His decreed will, which is going to happen. But am I in line with His declared will? So, don't come up with a different plan. Work God's plan according to His declared will in every area of your life. Well, in scene two, now we're going to switch over to Jacob and Rebekah. And here in verses 5 through 17, we're going to see Jacob and Rebekah act consistent with God's will. They're going to be consistent with God's will, but contrary to God's way. They're not going to do this God's way. It's completely contrary to God's way. Look at verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Rebekah had heard Isaac planning, and she knew Isaac's plan was against God's will. So she and Jacob act to ensure that God's will happens. But they act through deceit to bring it about their own way, man's way, not God's way. And as you, as you hear Rebecca sharing the plan with Jacob, you note that Jacob does not say, Mom, this whole idea is immoral and deceitful and, 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 and unrighteous. You don't hear that at all. You hear Jacob say, well, Mom, there's a hole in the plan. I mean, I'm going to be found out, right? He's going to be able to tell right away. Jacob is really okay with the plan as long as it can be executed correctly and well, right? Because this has to happen very quickly. You've got to cook the food. You've got to bring it to Isaac. You've got to complete the ruse to convince him, get the blessing, and then be gone all before Esau hunts, gets game, cooks it, and brings it. So there's an urgency here. 
But there's no reservation from Jacob about whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing to do. Rebecca's answer is, the curse that would come upon you, let that be upon me. I'll take the consequences for you. And to Jacob, that seems pretty worth it, right? I mean, it's all benefit here in his mind. I want this blessing. I need this blessing. I deserve this blessing. I will do whatever it takes to get this blessing. And as we've talked about many times before, that is where even something, a good thing that God gives us is, becomes sinful to us. It becomes an idol to us. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get it however it takes, whatever it takes. And if I mess this up, I have nothing to worry about because mom's going to take the consequences for me. Now, as for whether that would even be possible is a different story. But look at the hearts here. Look at the heart of Jacob. He takes that good thing, God's will. He twists it into an idol in his heart. Rebecca's heart is for Jacob, the, sin, the sinful partiality son that she loves more than the other. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure he gets it. And so the these, this sin in these hearts are driving them into doing whatever it takes to get what they want. So really their, their motivation here, even though they're after God's will, isn't to get God's will, it's to get what they want. In this case, it happens to line up with God had already said he would give them. Now, maybe also if you look back at 20, chapter 26, verse 35, that Esau's wives made life bitter for Jacob, for, for Isaac and Rebekah. Esau's wives made their life, their life bitter, and we'll talk about that later. But maybe that was part of it as well. But when you know God's will, brother and sister, when we hear God's declared will, what we need to be doing is working it out God's way not our own. Abraham and Sarah did that with Hagar, you remember? We need to have a son. Sarah, you can't have a son. Let's use Hagar to produce Ishmael. You remember when David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of God, and he said, let's bring it in. And so they did it the way they wanted to on a cart, and a man was killed because they did not obey the voice of God, his declared will. They did it the wrong way, and a man died. And so what we're learning here in this, in our notes, is that we need to use God's means for God's will. Use God's means for God's will. So in terms of ourselves, as we think about, well, what does God want from me in my life? Well, I'm supposed to be growing in holiness. So should I do it by just trying really hard? Is that the means that I need to use to try to grow to become more like Jesus? Just try harder. Just pull harder on those bootstraps <laughs> to get yourself lifted up into the air. Does it mean, well, maybe I just need to tear other people down so that I can feel better about myself? You know, I'm not going to actually do anything or grow in any way. If I just make people look really far down, tear them down, well, then I'll look and feel like I'm a little bit higher up. We, we see people who are not really growing in holiness, but they'll rip the culture apart with all the sins that are in the culture. Oh, the culture out there and how terrible they are and they don't know gender and they don't know the right politics and they don't have the right words to say and they, and they have everything wrong while not looking at all of the wrong that we have inside. The means that God gives us for growing in holiness, for His declared will is not make everybody else look really bad or, or not try really hard. It's through the means of His Word, reading and hearing, uh, teaching and preaching and hearing it read, reading it yourself, learning it, applying it. It's through prayer as you come to God and you pour out your heart and you admit that you're weak and that you can't do it. And He enables you by His Spirit. It's interceding for others. It's through fellowship with other believers. He never intended for any of us to be alone in this life in Christ 
We're to be together. There are other disciplines that he gives us. But we use the means that he gives us, not trying to come up with our own. Within our family. Well, I know it's God's will to use my family for his glory, so I'm not going to try to force legalism, a bunch of ridiculous rules so that I feel better, but they never actually reach the heart. You know, you know some families, some, I knew a family that, that would, it, they were okay watching um, movies that were rated R. They, they wouldn't be okay with that. You know, they said, no, we can't do that. We're, we're too holy. We, we want to be a holy family. But then they would sit and they would gossip about everybody around them in their neighborhood and all the other people. And they were okay with this sin over here, but let's not get involved with this. Be in the Word together as a family. Be fellowshipping together around the Word of God or praying together. That's more in line. That's, what's, well, that's what it looks like to be in line with God's declared will rather than wandering around searching, what should I be doing with my family? Within the church, God's will for the church is not to use a business model. It's not to use leadership strategies from the world. It's not to use psychology from the world. It's to use the means that he's given us to build this family of God, this church together as God reveals in his word and as he directs us in our local context standing firm on his word, praying together on all of the ways that he's, the Lord's Supper and, and even church discipline, restoring brothers and sisters who are sinning. All of the ways that God has told us to build his church. And in our culture, it's right to try to pass laws for morality. It's right to, to try to tell people it's wrong to murder and to steal. And if you do, here's the punishment. You know, to get a basic level of morality, that's good. That's okay to vote for and, and, to, and to speak out for not killing babies, even unborn babies. That's good, but even that's not the end all, be all. The only lasting, real, effectual change in culture is Jesus Christ and the gospel that he brought, that he lived, that he preached, that he enables, that he empowers, that we live out and speak out by grace through faith. So we've got to be consumed with God's will, but God's way, not our way, not, not with our own ideas, none of that will work. <laughs> only God's way will work. So we come now to scene three, verses 18 to 29, and these two are a little bit shorter. (laughs) But uh, in verses 18 to 29, we see that Jacob and Rebekah come out on top despite their sinful ways. They come out on top despite their sinful ways. Look at verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As Jacob goes in to see Esau, there's a careful narration. Jacob comes in to see Isaac. The careful narration. Jacob is doing this. Jacob is doing that. Isaac is speaking to Jacob, but Isaac thinks it's Esau. And it's so condemning. But here's what this supplanter, this cheater, take-over person, Jacob, does. In verses 19 and 24, he claims to be Esau. In verse 22, he feels like Esau. Verse 25, he brings food like Esau. In verse 27, he smells like Esau. The only thing not like Esau is his voice. But Isaac has five senses, his sight, which is fading, his ears, which tell him this is Jacob, not Esau, and then his other three, he relies on those other three, smell, taste, and touch. But in any of the cases, he's using physical senses in place of the spiritual sense of hearing God's word and obeying and trusting what God said. So he closes his ears to the truth of who this really is. And he asks Jacob, and Jacob lies to him. And then Jacob even seals it with a kiss. It reminds you of Judas in the garden garden with, with Jesus as Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. But the worst deceit is in verse 20. How did you get it so quickly? Because the Lord your God gave me success. He lies about God in his answer. There doesn't really seem to be from Jacob a submission to God as his own. This your God, you know, he gave me success. And, uh, you know, that should convince you that nothing strange is going on here. Now, the irony is that, of course, God is giving this success. He, He is bringing about his decreed will, but he's even using this deceitful, lying sin to bring it about. But God, to Jacob, just becomes a way to convince Isaac to fall for this. And and Isaac does. Hook, line, and sinker, he blesses Jacob. And he smells the smell of Esau's clothes, and it it awakens his imagination. He comes up with a three-part blessing. The first part is that Isaac will bless him with plentiful produce. Plentiful produce. Again, it should have gone to Jacob anyway, because he was now the one in the position of having the birthright. But if, 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 if Esau gets this blessing... There'll be no produce for Jacob as head of the family to provide for them. Next is political primacy. Let the peoples serve you. The nations bow down. God had said, no, the younger is, gonna, the younger is going to be over the older. The older will serve the younger. Isaac says, no, I don't want that. I want you, Esau, to be in charge and over your younger brother, Jacob. And then finally, as a capstone for the whole thing is the protective promise. The protective promise, cursed be everybody who comes against you. So Jacob better learn how to get in line with what I say. Forget about what God said before. You are going to be blessed by everybody who blesses you, and anybody that comes against you is going to be cursed. So again, Isaac thinks this is Esau, and there is nothing left for Jacob. What what Isaac has done here is cut off Jacob completely, except that this really was Jacob taking Esau's place. This was intentionally exhaustive. That's why it was so important that Jacob and and Rebekah pull this off. They needed to come out on top because there would be nothing left for Jacob. Even as now the official, technical, oldest one who's going to have to take care of the family. But that's where you can see a difference between God's declared and His decreed will. It was decreed that Jacob would get it. It was declared, and that's what happened. You only get to see God's decreed will after the fact. But when the, the, the 
the lesson for us here is that just because you get what you want in this life, don't assume that that's God's acceptance of you or your methods. Don't take it as God's will that, uh, that you're, and acceptance that you're living life the way He wants you to, that you're doing everything right. Um, don't judge hard times as being outside of the will of God. Don't judge the good times as being inside the will of God. Like, I'm okay, I'm doing fine, because look at all I have. The measurement in your notes for true success is faithfulness to the Lord and His Word, His declared will. Faithfulness, not whether we get what we want. And somehow we have run out of time again. There are two more scenes here that we need to understand, that we need to study together and we need to learn from and, and see and, and recognize because, because there are some big changes coming <laughs> and they're important for us to see. So uh, let's stop here, understanding that within God's will, we don't get to see His decreed part, the, the part that always is going to happen. If we want to know what's going to happen or, or, or what, what is God's decreed will, just look back and see what has happened. <laughs> That's a 100% guaranteed way to find out what was God's will, everything that's happened up to my life and your life to this point. What's His decreed will for the future? We don't get to know that. We're not held responsible for, for something that God doesn't give to us, that doesn't reveal to us. We're not going to be held against that. We will be held accountable to His declared will, His, His will that's given to us, that's breathed out by Him, that, that is inspired, that's given to us for teaching, for reproof, for doctrine, for correction, for training in righteousness. And it's a blessed word. It, it's not just a word of God that just tells us do this and do that and do this and don't do that and make sure you never do that. It does say that. But the heart of it is because of His love for us, we love Him we want to obey Him. We want to glorify Him. We want to, we want to trust in Him and do as He says because He's good and He's powerful. And Father, because Your Son came to us, to this world, God, and He lived a perfect life that we could never live, God, we praise You. We thank You for that. God, so many times we have struggled in life trying to figure out which direction should we go, what, what way should we take God, should we take this job or not? Should we eat that food or not? Lord, we've become fearful. We've become paralyzed. God, we've even thought you were cruel to hide this, this way, this one way that we needed to go. But God, we, we confess that that is not what you have intended for us. God, that you have, you have already ordained every part of our life. God, your word says that before it even began, you knew the number of them. You knew what would happen. God, you have not told us any of that information. God, you've not given that to us, but Lord, because we don't know it, Lord, it, it causes us to trust in you. Lord, and, and it's either going to be trusting in you or, Lord, it's going to be trying to find our own way. God, I pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us in your declared will of your word. God, that we would stay faithful to what you have said. Lord, that we would learn and, and study and grow. God, that we would trust and grow in faith, Lord. That we would recognize and confess where we've gotten off track, where we have fallen out of, of your declared will. But, Father, that you would guide us so that every part of our life, every way 
that we live would glorify you. God, that we'd bring others with us. Lord, that we would bring others along with us. And God, that you would, you would come back for us. That our Savior would do that. Lord, we look forward to that day. We know that's coming. We don't know when, God, because that's part that you have not revealed to us, but we know that it will happen. Father, give us that hope. Give us that assurance, that faith, that trust. God, give us that excitement, Lord, that we would not be discouraged by things that happen in this world and the things that don't go our way. God, that we would trust, that we would love, that you would be praised and glorified and honored because that's what you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.